Jeff. But now people love the Spanish forger. Well, so he is, it, like, this artist has immortal. become... <laughs> the, the artist has become this authentic fake. Like, everyone knows that they were a forger. You know, so everyone knows and still is interested in and loves the work for what it was doing. Um, mm-hmm. yes. You know, and... And the sort cool. of scandal and drama, right? Yeah, of course, of course. We all love a little, a little reality TV yeah, yeah, in our manuscripts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, friends, welcome to Field Pod. This is a Field Projects podcast focused on art, activism, and our thoughts on living a good life. I'm Chris Racanello, and I'm the co-director of Field Projects, along with Jacob Rhodes. Today on the podcast, we sit down in Field Projects with Jagrut Raval, our current field resident. We end up talking about history and myth-making, as well as the imaginary of immortality and what it might mean to actually achieve that. Jagrut is an artist history maker, fabulator, and chronicler, although we will, of course, discuss the problematics of using the term artist for him. We also discuss his work on this important figure, Narad, who is possibly an immortal time traveler. Be prepared for a candid conversation about time travel, truth, comparative religion, and our constructed identities. But first, join Jacob Rhodes and I as we talk about what's been happening in our lives this past week. We talk about the shows we went to, both together and separately, including the opening of Alexandra Rubinstein's hot new exhibition, The Moon Also Rises. Alexandra will be on the podcast with Jacob and I next week, so stay tuned for even more discussion of those gorgeous macho moon paintings. And we end, as usual, this week with a list of shows to go see right now. If you enjoy the podcast, please do like and subscribe. And if you feel adventurous, leave us a review. You should also be sure to check out the show notes below for our list of shows to go see, with links to gallery and artist websites for those that we recommend, and also always lots of other little goodies. Okay, so here is our talk with each other and also with Jagrut, who joins us at the end for our go-sees. Hey, everybody. What's up, everybody? This is Jacob. This is Chris. Woo! This is Field Pod. Yeah, it's Field Pod. So, hey, Jacob. What's up, Chris? I noticed you have this really cool fucking thing around your arm right now. Can you tell me about it? Where did you get that? <laughs> um, it's a little red, like, piece of string? Yeah, it's a, it's like what would be on a flapper dress, like one of those little strings. <laughs> when I was doing studio visits at uh, School of Visual Arts, I went and did a lecture there. SVA people, for those of you who, you know. Who, like, know the, the street lingo, it's SVA. Um, if you're a cool kid, you know, you say SVA. But I say School of Visual Arts. Because Jacob's a nerd. And I did a lecture there because that's what nerds do. Right, Chris? Nerds do lectures, right? Nope, only cool kids do lectures. <laughs> <laughs> and studio visits. And there was an artist there that had a bunch of found objects and was had made a shrine out of them. And part of it, the, the shrine was that she would cut off a piece of one of these little strings and put it around your wrist and you would make a sort of 
American Dream Wish. And, oh. and the idea was that, the, that oh. they, they sort of made a flag, and or American flag sort of. And so every time someone made a, a, a wish, part of this flag would disappear and go out into the world and hopefully become something. Well, yeah. it's the artist in residence. Oh, an artist in residence. Faculty. Jody is a. Jody's there. Jody's there. Yeah, Jody's great. We should have. We should do something with Jody. I love Jody. Yeah. In fact, Jody sent me something. I think was saying. Jody she... was at the border space. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's what I done on Friday. Was it? That's what I done on Friday. Was it Friday? <laughs> Friday night. <laughs> that was not Friday. Yes, it was. Was it during the day on Friday? Yeah. What did you do on Thursday? I don't know. Oh, you had Ramona. You had your daughter. I had I had Ramona. Yes, I had Ramona. Friday, I went to SVA and did a lecture about myself and field projects. Nice. Uh, Fuck and then, yeah, promotional. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then I was, and I'm really, I'm always interested in seeing artwork. So I was, that was all I was supposed to do. But then at the end of it, there was a lot of good questions, and I felt really like it was a bunch of artists and residents. Uh, Okay, yeah. cool. And I said, oh, look, you know, I'd love to do some studio visits. What? And, uh, you just did. Free studio visits. Like, Shh. that's how I do it. Wow. So then I said, so I did sort of a speed dating um, <laughs> situation. <laughs> <laughs> because it was like they were ending at two. <laughs> and it was like the, the person who was showing me around was like, I want to go home at two. <laughs> and so she's like, yeah, okay. Fuck yeah. She's like, all right, let's, uh, I'll, you know. She kept coming back and being like, all right, time's up. Let's go next. <laughs> but it was great. It, I got to see a lot of work and got to see, you know, I was just kind of like quickly like, tell me what you're doing. Let's you got get your into love it. bracelet. I got a uh, bracelet one, of love. Yes. I got a little string. Uh, it's red. And it was part of this installation that uh, one of the artists made. And she would cut them off and wrap them around your wrist as you made a sort of secret wish about what you want America to turn into. And then you left there and, and took part of the flag with you. Sort of. Cool. Yeah, so then I went home, or I went to Ramona's school, picked her up, hung out with her for a couple hours, played around, uh, and then I went and dropped Ramona off with her mom. And then I went to the Border Projects, where I ran into you. Yeah. And I saw your name. Okay, so first of all, I was coming there from Field Projects because I usually sit at Field Projects every other Friday. And I sit every other Friday as well. Yeah, fuck yeah, you do. <laughs> we try not to see each other there, duh. Um, so <laughs> then I went and went to shows at 56 Bogart Street. I went to the Amos Eno show, looked in the book, went to sign my name. Jacob was the last person who signed his name. And I was like, oh shit, Jacob, you're here too. And I texted you a picture of it. And then you were at the border space. So I and went the, down to the border space and text, said hi. Yeah, I texted you back and said, like, I'm down the hall. <laughs> We're really bad at telling stories about ourselves. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. That show was excellent. That was Kyoko Hamaguchi, whose show was called Never Since. And it was a whole bunch of compasses. And every single compass had the word Wait, since sorry, and never. It was basically material poetry which I thought was great. Mm, yes. And it said since and never. And S was at the bottom of the compass for south. Mm -hmm. And then the top was north. So, you know, it had all sorts of different stuff on it. And there were also these kind of like beautiful, what was it? Sea monkeys? Yeah. In the center that she had raised over COVID. And the compasses would say things like, since I saw it was your decision, never wanted to convince you. 
or since I know how many calories it has, never ate babka. Or like, hmm. since I was too late before you were gone, never was able to tell you how thankful I am. Uh-huh. And they were like these repetitious, like the same format over and over, but they were very moving and funny, sad, and also sometimes like bored and awkward. Like they were very good. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed them much more than I expected to. Yeah. How did you feel about the show? Um, well, so then she took, these are plastic compasses. Uh, then she took the compasses and put them on the... Like giant plastic storage container thing. Yeah. Giant meaning that they were like three feet by two Oh, I'm sorry. I'm saying like giant that. because I'm thinking of Tupperware, but like <laughs> in comparison to Tupperware, they're giant. Yes. But they're sort of that like 18 by 24 size. Yes, You know, yes, yes. that's like maybe 14 tall, 18 tall by... 18 yes. by 24. The kind of standard ones that we all end up buying and then putting in storage units. That you or can't buy for a New York City apartment, but you can buy for an attic. Anyways. Okay. <laughs> a very specific <laughs> there, association. I guess the way that you feel about it. Okay. And those were filled with sea monkeys, which I don't know how long sea monkeys live. But... Kyoko said that she's been raising this colony of sea monkeys throughout the pandemic. Oh, okay. Um, so obviously the sea monkeys that are there, like many of them have died, but. The kind of colony of them is her pandemic project. So each one of these things was filled up with a bunch of water or salt water and sea monkeys. So the compasses are floating on top of the water and being moved around by the the sea monkeys underneath the water because they're like flittering everywhere. And they're just little tiny shrimps. Yeah, I thought that was kind of... It was good, well. yeah. yeah. And then uh, you went to something after that, right? So Which then, I'm pissed I wasn't invited to, but... Yeah, Chris was not invited. There was an after party. Uh, was yeah. this where everyone went from the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I think you left early. Or not early, but you left before it closed. I see. And I thought about going to Pine Box. No, but I didn't. we would have seen you there. Yeah. So then we went to the Pine Box, and then Pine Box is a sort of nightmare place for me. No, but it's also a yes. loving place. <laughs> we have everyone all... who's gone there has gotten so trashed. Yeah, because they have some of their their beers are really really like high. Like nineteen percent. Yes. Something. And so, you, and so you have like two beers, three beers, and then you're like. I need to go home because I'm about to do something very bad. Mm-hmm. Like sleep under a truck. Never happened to me. I'm just saying. Just saying. Like just an example pulled out of the air. Yep. Right. <laughs> Anyways. So there was a. There just happened to be a drag show there that night. Jamie, the artist, the artist's friends. Kyoko. Uh, Kyoko. Yes. A bunch of other uh, random friends. My friend Patty, and so on. Anyways, it was Patty. just a. It was a random group of people, and then the and then all these drag queens came out of the back and were like, "Come on, we're doing a show." Fuck yeah. Excuse me. I love the backspace. Yeah, me at too. Time Box. I do too. <laughs> if you've never gone, you should really go. It's just like it's it's just nice. It's like it's just comfortable. It's it not, feels intimate. Yes, it's like not yeah. super like ooh super highbrow whatever. Like it's, it feels like you're interacting. It's not a. It feels it feels like you 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 stepped out of the bar. In, yes. Into your own private place, and yes. they, dude, the. The drag show was amazing. the The lip singing was so perfect that I that I had to keep like spent like just being like, "What is this? No, wait, they're not singing that." It was great. Wow, that's really great. Yeah, and it was super trashy. Yeah. They were super fun and trashy. And, we love trashy here. I mean, we love ourselves. Yes, we're, we're my, not going to have a trash competition my, between the two of us. You, but no, <laughs> why is everything a competition with you? Because <laughs> okay. <laughs> what else did you do this week? I, I watched this mini series and it's on Hulu. It's called The Pistols and it's about the Sex Pistols, and it's told from um, the guitarist's 
point of view. He wrote a book called Lonely Boy, and it's a lot about each one of their own personal abuses and uh, how they grew up. Like Steve, the guitarist, actually couldn't read, and he learned how to play guitar, I think, in a week before he started playing Wow. With the pistol. So it's an interesting, I mean, for me too, like growing up listening to the Sex Pistols, it's interesting to watch the, how difficult they all were with each other, how different people manipulated them and they manipulated different people. And uh, it was, it's just a lovely series. I think there's like seven or eight. And I, and I think it's a complete miniseries. What did you do? Or what, what are the things that you worked on? <laughs> what did I do this week? On Thursday, I went to Alexander Rubenstein's show, The Moon Also Rises, at Mother. We're going to talk to Alex next week. It was a fucking great show. You know her work, right? Yeah. How would you describe her work? One word. Phallic? Yes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say dicks, but, you know. I, I, went, I took the high road. You know? Did you see that? I didn't. <laughs> I know. So, but these are really, really, like... It's interesting because they're completely in line with work that she's been doing, but it feels like such a good new offshoot for her. Um, and the fact that she's been able to channel all of this like super phallic energy into this new body of work that is about sort of landscape. And I'm sure oh, you wow. can imagine paintings that are like all about mother goddesses and Gaia and like... The woman's body is the earth and blah, blah, blah. Second wave feminism. Bullshit. Whatever. She, <laughs> Wait, she has second taken... Second wave feminism is bullshit? She's, what? <laughs> she has taken this idea and has like flipped it and turned it into this, this male landscape fetishization voyeuristic object thing. Cool. And I think that is excellent. And also, she started the press release with this like ridiculous quote that I told you about earlier before we started recording, mm -hmm. um, that is an Ernest Hemingway quote from The Sun Also Rises, which is where she kind of pulled the name of this exhibition from. And the quote is, as he had been thinking for months about leaving his wife and had not done it because it would be too cruel to deprive her of himself. <laughs> and it's like the most narcissistic 1920s bullshit that you could possibly think of. Um, I You're like welcome. that she's taken it and flipped that and been like, no, no one can leave me because I am the earth and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it's also like very taking the divine feminine and kind of playing with the idea of that and playing with the idea of women being associated with the earth and making it more like men can be associated with the earth and also just like the art historical plays that are happening in these paintings are amazing i really encourage everyone to go see this it's at mother gallery i talked about it last week on go sees so it's not in go sees this week i think it's a great show so i saw that and then i went with my friend to patricia sneed's show which was at laurel gitlin that was actually quite good Patricia Sneed, if you may know of her work through poetry, this is Patricia's first time showing any kind of work that is material, painted. They're all watercolors, and they're all around sort of either black icons and idols in contemporary culture, or around people who've been killed by the police, or other sort of pop cultural figures that Patricia is making paintings almost as like a shrine-like space, and has written a lot of their poetry on the walls, in pencil, around these paintings. I thought it was actually like quite good. They're very much like not gone to art school, 
just, as, I need to make this object as a veneration of the person that they're trying to speak to, or that I need to make this because I feel so strongly like I identify with this person. Yeah, that's um, great. And those feel really good to look at. Yeah. Cool. Also, I love their mm. little, like, the photograph one that is the poet with, like, <laughs> pearls on it. It's yeah. very good. It's so like the... I went to both of those. What I, else did you do? Did I you do anything went... else this weekend? Yeah, this so Ernest, Ernesto. Ernesto. <laughs> Ernesto. Neto is at Tanya Bonnachdor. Um, and that ends on Thursday, so this should come out on Wednesday, so it ends the next day after. And that, if you haven't seen that, that's just an amazing installation. Ooh, this is the smell one. And there's a huge uh, smell factor, yeah. <laughs> which which Chris loves. <laughs> but I, I mean, I also loved it, but Chris loves anything that smells, which, I mean, it's wow, every, everything, that is a, everything on the earth. That's a real thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> anything that has a smell, Chris loves it. Just know that. His work is just, I don't know, it's very moving. I find it very moving. I would suggest to run and go see that right now. You want to hear some shit about my class this week? Hell yeah. Where'd you guys go? You have any questions? Where did you go? So we went to two places. It was my first time teaching a class that was sort of a walking tour and it went very well. I hope my students feel that way. I think that it went very well. Um, we started at the African Burial Ground National Monument, which is sort of close to Wall Street. And then we walked down Broadway and went to picture in your minds the giant bronze bull with the balls that everyone walks up and licks and kisses and whatever. Boo. Um, right where that bull was, there's an intersection of two roads that are these two rivers that were paved over in the 1700s. And when they were paved over, uh, they also cut down the sacred elm. So there was this elm tree that was sacred to the Capsi chief and the Lenape and Hopi people. And at that site, there's no memorial. So we first went to this memorial to the African burial grounds and then went to a place where there is no memorial for this sacred site. It's actually across from where the um, Museum of Native Americans is. Mm -hmm. And that museum, though, is also this like very neoclassical, well, in the United States, we would call it federalist architectural space. Uh, uh -huh. Anyways, and it sort of like stares down at Bowling Green, which is the park. So if uh -huh. y'all have ever gone to Bowling Green... That's what it is. Um, and at the end, there's that bull. And where the bull is, is where the sacred elm used to be. So the class was kind of talking about if this has been a successful Damnaccio Memoriae. And do you know what Damnaccio Memoriae is? I was just going to ask you to explain that to our viewers because I know. You do, because I've done work on it before. <laughs> <laughs> so Damnaccio Memoriae is an entirely invented term by historians. Essentially, it means the damnation of memory, the condemnation of memory is the literal translation. And so throughout time, people have decided, fuck their political rivals, and they've decided to do a programmatic, systematic attempt to erase them from the historical record. So you can imagine the pharaoh Hatepshet. She had an entire program against her where we're not sure if it's Tutmose III, who was the person she was regent for, or if it was a person immediately after him, but who attempted to smash all of her statues and erase her name from a bunch of different monuments, you know, going through and 
deleting mm. her cartouches and things like that. We see a similar thing with the sort of namesake of Damnacho Memoriae, which is these brothers, um, but specifically Geta, who is the child in the Severan dynasty, who has his face scratched out of the Severan Tondo. Mm, That's really okay, where yeah. historians kind of first came up with the term of Damnacho Memoriae. Wow. And yeah. basically what we have is, we talked about Damnacho Memoriae, we went to the African burial ground monument, and then we went and talked about if it had been a successful or not Damnacio Memoriae to build a bunch of shit over this sacred space and never acknowledge it. And our conclusion is that it was quite successful. Hmm. But I think that talking about it and reviving it makes that Damnacio Memoriae not successful. So I do feel like it's very important to talk about Bowling Green being the site of the sacred elm and to encourage people who are not me, because I do feel like I am not the right person to do this, but to encourage other artists to try to come up with a plan to put a proposal forward to the city to have a memorial at the site of the Sacred Elm, or something to grow another elm tree there. There's lots of ideas that you can take. Mm -hmm. I leave that out there as a project for people. I think that would be, that sounds very ripe. I am currently writing the Wikipedia for it because there's no Wikipedia, but I think other people, and please feel free to contribute to the Wikipedia after I make the page, but I think that we need other people to work on this project. Of course, yeah. Anyways, that was sort of some of That's the things. The we, we also talked about That's dead cool. bodies and medieval Damnacho Memoriae and whatever, but it was good. That's awesome. Yeah. That's that's a great term to know. I don't know. Your class sounds amazing. Thanks. Uh, uh, you could it... be in it. Why don't you take it? <laughs> um. <laughs> um, so we also talked about museum restoration, which I feel like is something really interesting that you might have comments about, Oh. Uh -huh. which is just like the difference dates and approaches to restoration. Mm -hmm. um, we did a little tiny case study of the Hatepshit statue that's at the Met, um, where they like traded with the Berlin Museum, and it's both very colonialist. And then they like tried to put this statue back together. And in the 1930s, they put it together seamlessly. So there was an artist who like made a bunch of plaster shit for it, and it made it look like it was a full statue. In the 1979, they made it like uh, they took all the plaster out, so then it looked like a broken but kind of glued together statue. And then in in the 1990s, they made it kind of look like it was in between that. And the way that the statue was found was as fragments. Mm -hmm. Do you have an opinion about which is best? The best way to show that? The best approach to restoration. Because we came to a really interesting conclusion in my class. Really? Yeah. Um... But I would like to know your your thoughts on it before we talk about what we talked about in class. That's a you know I'm, I'm maybe I should show you the pictures. <laughs> yes, please show me the pictures. I'm more about like the making a 3D model of it <laughs> to sit next to the fragments or something to that effect. This is like the fucking conclusion that we came to in my class. Well, I mean that makes the most sense, right? <laughs> like, like how are you so smart though? <laughs> you, no, but I mean really, like this is the conclusion that we came to. It just makes sense to be like, oh, this is what it, what we think it would have looked like. This is our, you know, projection. And this right here is what we found or something like that, or what was left over. These are the fragments in all of their different states, 1930s. And it looked like this originally. See, I think that looks, that looks really interesting to me. I do too. <laughs> right? like the so, like, so like what you said, I think is kind of the conclusion that we came to. Yeah. But really what our conclusion was, was 
there has to be some way to show the expanded history of the object, mm -hmm. um, okay. which could be something like doing a 3D model and then showing the fragments. Yeah. But to respect the long history of Iconoclash as different communities coming into conflict publicly in space. Yeah. Like, okay. I feel like that is so important. Yeah. Well, um, couldn't there be text about that? Or yeah. Accompanying the thing? Yeah. Like, that's what I, that's yeah. what I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, or but I, I just don't know what the real expanded thing should look like. Yeah, yeah. You know. And Yes, of course. And we don't have enough room to yeah. show every expanded history of every object in the museum. Maybe we do. We just, it's a very slow rotation. It's over. called curation. What's, what's called curation? <laughs> Isn't that like what we do in our, with our shoes and our clothes and our closets, right? Oh, my God. Our towels. Um. Yeah, yeah. Color-coded so, closet. Yes. You got one of those rainbow closets going Fuck on yeah, there. Fuck yeah, I do. Hell yeah. I, I mean, that's the way that I shopped in thrift stores, that it was all color-coded. And I just went and was like, i got to find Jesus a large in here. Christ. You're only half kidding. I'm Anyways. Not kidding at all. <laughs> um, anyway, so what, the last thing I want to say was that we uh, submitted to Spring Break. Oh, yes. Yeah. We're excited about it, and we'll see if we get in. But it's basically a solo show by Faye Koo. And, um, yeah, Faye's work is great. Faye is, yeah, an artist that I think we've been looking at for a long time. Um, and the theme for Spring Break is ideas that it's it's about Renaissance, about like one point's perspective. And um, Faye's work is a lot about two point perspective and multiple point perspective. It's a non Western idea of what the Renaissance is. Yeah. I mean, and basically we proposed, every year we propose an immersive exhibition. Uh, Spring Break is very much oriented toward installation art and like yeah. uh, wanting to bring in sensory experience, etc. But on top of that, we also, Faye is going to be making these kind of like larger paintings on the walls that are based on historical paintings from the Ming Dynasty. And looking at Ming Dynasty art as this kind of radical alternative to this hegemonic single point perspective that comes out of the Italian Renaissance and becomes so dominant in colonialist artwork. Yeah. So, so like exactly what I just said. Yes, exactly. But like in a smart way. <laughs> you know, you say things in the way that like... The people understand it? No, God, no, that sounds so... No, that was not what I was going to say. <laughs> Jacob. <laughs> Wait, what does that you mean about me? <laughs> Jacob is the elitist over here. <laughs> what? Um, so what? I talk for the people. I'm the people's poet. <laughs> yes. Well, and I also thought that we should also say the thing that I really loved about Faye's work and that mm -hmm. I think is great in our proposal, if I'm allowed to say our proposal is great, is that it's really focusing on the way that Mandarin sets up a different structure for understanding. Yes. Yeah, and yes. the way that Mandarin as a language offers these kind of different entryways into thinking about things where the same thing can have different registers of being and understanding. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about it more as we go closer to spring break, if we get in. And I really feel that, you know, that it'll be a great exhibition and you yeah. should all come. And I also want to say that, that, that this, the kernel of this idea is Faye's idea of, she was one who was telling us about Mandarin and, which is uh, yes, for uh, sure. her, her language and her first language, her first language and the way that, yeah. And the different types of tense that it works in and how the language describes things and the way that she thinks about the world through that language and then mm -hmm. moving to English 
and what that that made her sort of think differently about the world. Yes. And it's also an interesting thing because she's talked about it. Mandarin doesn't have tenses, so it doesn't have like a past or a future. It just has a present. Mm -hmm. And you have to kind of say things in this continuous present. And I think that's such a different way of thinking and produces different aesthetics. Yeah. Um, and that's what she's talking about as this kind of alternative to the Italian Renaissance. Because Spring Break's fucking their thing this year is lunch. What is it? Naked lunch. Naked lunch. <laughs> Jesus. Because it's like this beatnik renaissance. So therefore it's a renaissance. And therefore the exhibitions are supposed to be about renaissances. Uh, Not necessarily about the beatnik renaissance. And Faye was like, okay, well, if we're talking about renaissances, I have to respond to the Italian renaissance. Let me make this show about this. Yeah. Um, and I think it will be amazing. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. So I'm very excited to talk to Jug Root. Yes. Jug Root is our current resident mm -hmm. in Field Projects. You may show up at Field Projects almost at any time and see him. Thursday through Saturday, we're, we're definitely open. The gallery's open <laughs> Thursday through Saturday, but, but he's there, like, most of the time. Yes, and also if you want to go and buy and do a studio visit with him, you can email me. Or DM Field Projects or, Instagram. Yes. It's always a good thing to do. Just send us a DM. All right, let's talk to him. All right, awesome. Give me this fucking... I'm glad you had a good week. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so hey everyone, uh, Jacob and I are here with our current resident in field residency. Jagrut Rawal. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for being our resident right now. Thank You're you. working yes. on a really incredible project. Um, I was very excited about the PDF you sent me yesterday. And I'm also excited about the objects that you've been working on and working with and finding. But first, could you just tell us a little bit about how you started making work? What was, how did you even get started as an artist? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a heavy word to have a label of <laughs> uh, yeah. the, the artist. I don't know if that is the case. I, I do something that uh, doesn't fit anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And that's why maybe it is art. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. At like the intersection of history and archaeology and literature mm -hmm. and material objects. So, yeah. art. And art is just a platform for anybody to do anything they want, really. Yeah, I mean, in a way, like my, <laughs> with my work, um, I feel like through, like I, it is multidisciplinary, I have like multiple things um, right. um, that I'm interested in. Of course, literature, mythology, uh, history, uh, anthropology is something that I'm all, I've always been fascinated with. Yeah. And that kind of now slowly seeps into my work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my undergrad has been in interior design and architecture. Oh. Uh -huh. From uh -huh. there on, I studied, I did an MFA in photography uh, from uh, here in US. So somewhere like I'm, I'm trying to kind of merge all these interests. Mm -hmm. Image making has been like one of the most important tools of expression for me and that through that I have been like making all these like uh, stories and, and narrative around a person that I have that I've been kind of researching mm -hmm. um, since about eight years uh, called Narad and Narad uh, is somebody who has traveled in search of the immortals and immortality so largely his his quest is about being immortal being uh, recognized being in in memory for forever for posterity uh, mm -hmm. and and and, and somewhere I feel Narad exemplifies as a human being uh, than it, and 
his or her like in a way quest for this being alive forever mm-hmm. and, and right yeah the kind of desire to be included in the historical record the desire to sort of live forever or live on at least is i think very much like a universally desired um to be remembered yeah to be remembered yeah because he doesn't want to physically live forever as no i think he does doesn't he does he want to live forever forever and he does in a way he has achieved immortality and that's why we know about him today Uh, and and, uh, (laughs) in a way he's He's, he's, he's achieved uh, it. He's achieved it, and that's why we know, and, and we the artifacts are are, uh, are beginning to, uh, and and that's why I'm important now. I am um, the chronicler of Narad, uh-huh. and, and finding these objects, things um, around mm-hmm. uh, wherever I, I, I travel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's there's record of him ev- everywhere in the world. Yes, and interestingly, that record uh, I, I I happen to serendipitously find it serendipitously uh-huh. i somehow i am the i am the channel through which narad's works are being are coming out yeah, into the world yeah. well i would imagine also that it's like when you go you find one in one place then when you go to another place it's a little bit easier to find it right because mm-hmm. there's a little there's a little more context or something mm. finding narad is a good book title for your eventual <laughs> <laughs> your eventual autobiography <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lifelong endeavor. I feel uh, now that I've, I've begun, and it has stayed with me. And I feel as now, considering like as a practitioner, I feel yeah. if something has stayed with you as an idea for, like this has stayed with me f- since seven years now. Mm-hmm. So I consider that as as something very fruitful. Uh, that it has, it has gone through like a really a rest of time in a way for yeah. me. So I feel this is something that I will evolve with in my practice and somehow my practice is evolving through this this body of work. Right. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us a little bit about the objects that you found here? Um, so, yeah. Because or that are sort of happening in the back room here with us at Field Projects? In a way, they are happening, but at the same time, it kind of began with this this um, so I was on a city bike and and going to uh, the Hudson Piers and and just like towards the end of the pier like you have those um, uh, the things that go into the into the water and that that's the structure right like the piles here Um, so right there I I could hear this trunk like kind of swooshing and and uh, like I I could hear the the metal sound rattling like Uh tongue 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 and uh, somehow I thought oh what what is this thing and I found that trunk Oh, interestingly wow. um, so it called to you so yeah, yeah yes objects always call to me and, and somehow Narad's objects always call to me mm. uh, so that's uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> cool can you tell us a little bit about what you think Narad was doing here in the United States and like when he might have been here in, interestingly Narad's story kind of begins uh, of course with being like Narad is uh, somebody from the Indian subcontinent and he's a photographer, he's a polymath, um, he's an alchemist, uh, interested in metals and metal making. And, and this is right at the time uh, in like 16th and 17th century when um, the, the Western powers were beginning to move, move around the world and, and kind of beginning to understand the world. In the, that was the first time the, the image of the world was beginning to form. So at that time, the Dutch uh, were in India. Uh, I mean, they, they had colonies in India, and that's when I, 
I am I'm assuming that Narad would have gone from India to mm-hmm. to the west and mm-hmm. especially uh, to Amsterdam and uh, the real Amsterdam not this Amsterdam because this was also <laughs> the new Amsterdam then New York and that's where uh-huh. yeah. I am assuming and, and and again assuming and and, and kind of imagining um, and attributing these artifacts uh, mm-hmm. that I'm finding um, to be of that time period uh, the that's, 16th 17th century that's a mm-hmm. really fascinating connection that somehow I I really hadn't thought about before it, but it's just that Narad is going from one Amsterdam to another, right? It's still this Dutch colony, um, mm-hmm. and it's still this Dutch colonial project that he's kind of existing in here, even when he comes to New York. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that also is kind of speaking to this idea of there's this kind of expansiveness of colonization, right? Because Narod's whole life story is dealing with the sort of pressures of colonization um, and colonialism. Well, he's kind of a witness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of uh, what's happening. That's and, a great word. And yes. Like, yeah. And that's something that interestingly you say that because that is exactly the word that I was uh, uh, thinking of as as the title of the work here itself. Yeah. Uh-huh. That being a witness, um, uh, because all the stories and all the narratives that we have heard of so far have been written by the powers. Um, mm-hmm. So the colonial powers have mm-hmm. themselves written about the stories of. The local natives. So, um, and this comes to that book also uh, called Indian Notes and Monograph. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Lenape ritual mm-hmm. uh, religious and mm-hmm. ce- religious mm-hmm. uh, um, ceremonies. Mm-hmm. This is the PDF I mentioned earlier, uh, which is like this interesting, very colonialist book written from a colonialist perspective. But do you think that Narod had access to this? Absolutely, because uh, at the same time, um, Narod was witnessing the same thing happening in India. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. It was again the 17th, 18th century when uh, the British and Dutch both uh, were in India, and they were. Um, and and there is a certain process of colonization that you you go to a place, you understand uh, the the rites and rituals and ceremonies, and somewhere you use those that that knowledge to conquer, uh, to, to conquer, <laughs> to to remain in power. To, yeah, to and this control. has been a standard mm-hmm. kind of a format of colonialism, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, Narad understands this. Narad yes. understands this this process, and and that's why Narad is kind of sympathetic to uh, to the natives. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, his t- a title being an Indian also is something that is so parallel to uh, the natives of this land. Right. Mm. Yeah. There's a kind of. Um, there was a colonialist equalizing of the two, like a wrong equalizing, mm-hmm. but he feels a kind of shared feeling of solidarity with mm-hmm. them. Like a brothership. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Because they've both had these misunderstandings and because of all of the sort of ways, the colonialist approaches, right, by dominant colonial powers in both India and here in Manhattan, mm-hmm. right, um, is kind of the way that he's thinking about it. And I feel like also, so is he engaging in that kind of ethnographic, like going out, meeting Lenape people, talking to them and observing their rituals in the same way? Or is he not doing that? No, I'm still, um, the research is still on. And um, um, I did, uh, in fact, um, um, kind of manage to go through some of the um, online archives at the National Museum of American Indian and trying to find if if there are any records of any uh, parallel kind of uh, history uh, with the Indian subcontinent. Mm-hmm. But um, coming back to that idea that I, what interestingly I found this very interesting book called Hindu America. 
and uh, it is by this person named Chaman and I'm, I'm, I'm not joking like this is uh, very legit uh, it was um, uh, the Indian National Congress then huh. uh, this was pre-independence so Indian National Congress yeah. kind of uh, promoted this book and, and there were the directors had like mm-hmm. preface written uh, in the book and it, what the book claims is that the entire uh, uh, the American native civilizations that existed in this land uh, even going all the way till South America um, all of them have like Hindu roots Hmm. Uh, because there are certain similarities of, and I, I would love to, you know, talk and like go in detail maybe once the, the PDF is there. Do you remember when it uh, was published? I think around 1932 or 35 or some, like in 30s, 1930s, hmm. some time period. Mm-hmm. And what it claims that, oh, the people also look same, uh, look at the, hmm. the kind of baskets they make, that also looks very similar to the uh, the the tribal baskets in India and wow. this parallel yeah. anthropological <laughs> idea which is so fascinating to me that how yeah. can I, I understand this one at one point of time I understand this because this has been part of the um, like a very Hindu right-wing sort of agenda also to mm-hmm. to kind of capture different cultures and civilizations around the world and to imagine them as as the origin like them mm-hmm. also being like Hindu origin yeah, uh, and probably every culture of the world would want to do that. Yes. <laughs> that they would want to say, oh, you know, that part of the world, uh, uh-huh. they also belong to right. us. Yeah. Right, of course, <laughs> yes. And that's like part of the colonialist project too. Like I see that as very attached to colonialist thinking hmm. or the theory of empire, right? And like kind of dominance and claiming uh, rights to a particular place. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because that also, the sort of, Hindu right-wing brings up all of the kind of questions around histories and imaginaries that Narad really plays with. I don't know, I'm really curious about how before you started working on his life, like seven years ago, as you were saying, if you were already interested in this idea, um, or like what were you working on before he came into your life and you started being a chronicler? Because oh. maybe chronicler is a better word than artist, <laughs> right? Like, do you maybe, see yeah, yourself yeah, true, more true. as being like, I'm a chronicler, I curate exhibitions, <laughs> I'm an archaeologist and anthropologist, and a yeah. sort of myth-making historian. Yes. Yeah? Something like that maybe is better than... <laughs> than yeah. Would you use that term, historical fabulation? Cultural fabulation, that's what... Sadia Hartman. Yeah, Sadia Hartman's critical fabulation mm-hmm. idea. Would that be something, would you use that term in describing what's happening here? Yes. I think it's a critical fabulation. Mm-hmm. But I also think that it's out of the context of like, <laughs> well, but it's like a material fabulation, right? Yes. So it's different. Um, whereas she's talking much more specifically, mm-hmm. and you do write, I'm not saying that you don't right and chronicle but she's using the, the words but she's using it like really specifically as about research and so i think like artists have always played with the idea of critical fabulation mm-hmm. like for forever and it's but just like researchers are catching up <laughs> to <laughs> artists uh because this is a methodology that's like very effective mm-hmm. but i don't know if it truly applies to material objects and artwork and everything between right yeah, yeah because it's kind of 
it is intended to be really specifically for academic researchers. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think we just have a, a term there. But I like right. having that term because yeah. I really do, I really do feel like that's something a you are completely playing with, but also artists have had kind of license to do and that's been an important function of art mm -hmm. for a very long time yes is to allow for this kind of play with the things that aren't there but that we deeply want to imagine into history or um, yeah or we and, can't see in history but we sort of maybe have stories about or right. like like we you know we, we yeah know it something. allows us to deal with oral history too in a way that like written history has been really bad at dealing with right mm -hmm. um you know so i i think it's a good term to talk about with you and i would love to know your thoughts about it too because maybe you disagree with me and you're like this mm -hmm. is a critical faculation <laughs> um i don't know what do you think no, this is interesting because uh, again, um, it it comes from I, I again I have I, I I have not read much about cultural fabulation, uh, mm -hmm. uh, but as just overview of like Wikipedia knowledge, and from that uh, what I could uh, grasp uh, that um, as an intent, mm -hmm. um, it is an intent from people whose histories have not been written, mm -hmm. um, and usually like by the oppressors and the uh, the people of like the people of the land their stories have been suppressed so yes. how do you now make sense of those stories yes and maybe this fabulation is a process mm -hmm. that which artists of course were always doing it but historical research purposes maybe now it is becoming part of academia or uh, but yeah in that sense i feel it's it's by default like of course artists by default do fabulation yeah, but I think it's even more like in the consciousness that artists are doing that now or something. Like the the imagining of Hindu nationalism into the Americas, right? Like this kind of, like we're mm -hmm. very aware of the ways that histories are constructed and constructed based on like where you stand in relation to the subject material. And so I think that artists, even though I think artists have always made historical fabulations or have have been good at elucidating how history is con a constructed thing. Yeah. I think that now it's much more like in the consciousness because we have such like, <laughs> I mean, even if you just think about the news today and the way that different news stations have conflicting versions of the same events and how like it's mm -hmm. all kind of very, very much based on this subjective, um, like witnessing but again yeah. witness we're coming back to this idea of witnessing because it's all through that like medium of how the story's told by the witnesses of yeah. it right yeah um and fox news actually is opinion not news <laughs> <laughs> no seriously they, yeah. they fall under opinion mm -hmm. so that's yeah. why they can say a lot of radical things because they're like this is it's a show opinion, it's this not is news. a show about opinion yeah. this is an op-ed this is not fact yeah they've turned more and more to the op-ed yeah you're yeah. right Sorry. And no, that's exactly that's like I, I see what you're uh, what, what you're saying is exactly parallel with uh, India right now. Oh, really? uh, there are so many news channels which follow exactly the same uh, structure, uh, uh, the Fox, CNN kind of a uh -huh. you know polarity that you have one which is of course the most liberal and the other one which is the most uh, uh, kind of hard uh, conservative. Uh, conservative. Right. And and maybe it's it's the corporate model and. Well, like your t-shirt it says uh, it, it was all along uh, yeah. it's the capitalist uh, and and you know I, I want to go back to that time period um, um, that 
Marx <laughs> said 200 years back yeah. that uh-huh. in order for you to critique capitalism, you have to start with the critique of religion actually first. So Agreed. it's yes, we're <laughs> we're all on board. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, unfortunate reality also. So yeah. how do you? Which is interesting because so much of your work deals with conflicting religious belief systems as well as political and social ones, right? So mm-hmm. that seems like also really embedded in the story yeah, of Naran. Because it's embedded in the history of... And now coming back to then uh, the very word Narad. Uh, Narad comes from Hindu mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, so oh. uh, Narad is a character uh, um, who's like a demigod. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, he's characterized as this person, uh, I mean, as, as this demigod who is moving between uh, different realms of heavens and between different god planes. Uh-huh. Like, you know, Hindu, Hinduism is a, like a pantheon of uh, a lot of gods. It's like so uh, those, like in between gods, Narada yeah. is the messenger. Mm-hmm. But Narada also makes fun of the gods. Mm-hmm. Also kind of uh, mm-hmm. undermines... Sort of undermines the... Yeah. The god structure, yeah, and that's what I love about this this character. Right, being in the system, it, it critiques the system as well uh, at the same time. So, mm-hmm. so somewhere, Narad's character and Narad's appropriation kind of works with me, like Narad being an agency for me mm-hmm. to now begin to kind of talk about what's happening uh, around um, around in India, elsewhere. So yeah, that way. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. interesting to hear that the news sources in India are very similar. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right to kind of pinpoint that on this kind of corporate model of how news is being told, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of years ago, when Donald Trump got elected, mm-hmm. the, the <laughs> this is a stupid term, but it's also very useful, the idea of post-truth, mm-hmm. um, really coming out of the explosion of 24-hour news. Um, We kind of, there were a lot of different writers who talked about and historians who really pinpointed this feeling of being post-truth to having a 24-hour news cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, That was also like very graphic in a way that it hadn't been um, in the past. And I think that's also really interesting because that came out of corporate competition. Like the desire to have this 24-hour news cycle came out of the need for companies to compete with each other, which produced like, or I should say, fermented this atmosphere that we're in now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sorry. No. You're just pointing to your shirt. I just pointed at my shirt again. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the competition of, of capitalism between these these privately owned companies to tell you what news is important and they're going to try to scare the shit out of you to make you want to stay watching the news and being like oh my god I'm scared about that I'm scared about this what am I going to do what am I going to do about this and then you're like I got to get an Arby's because I'm really hungry and you know know, like whatever the commercials are then you (laughs) could you tell us your thoughts maybe about the relationship between history and and journalism or like history and news I think Fake news uh, again, you know. Um, um, I think the word "fake news" was uh, is is not a new one. Um, it's it's been there since like 1800s. Um, uh, so it, I think, powers have always done this. 
टू यूज सोशल मीडिया आई मीन नाउ सोशल मीडिया बट लाइक न्यूज एंड जर्नलिज्म वन थिंग दैट कम्स टू माइंड इज ऑफकोर्स दैम्ब्रिज एनालिटिक स्टोरी राइट लाइक हाउ दिस पर्सन द बिजनेस मुगल ऑफ दिस सिटी Mm-hmm. Uh, and and became the president yeah. and in and that of course you know all this uh, um, um, kind of building a myth it was um, so they are already doing it what i am doing here uh, with my stories and all that is just that same process it's just that i'm not i'm I, i'm not using it as not a, as a, as a I, i don't have any malice <laughs> in my in my process yeah. <laughs> that's the only thing but we'll see once you get some power you know <laughs> <laughs> well, but i think i think that is important though right like narad doesn't need to access power like he doesn't seem to have that kind of desire and when we're talking about donald trump kind of creating this mythology around himself um all of that is coming out of a desire for power Mm-hmm. And so I wonder about like what motivates Narad. Do you know what I mean because like Donald Trump's motivations are very clear in the way that he's mythmaking about himself. Mm-hmm. But I think even if we go deeper then what is like of course everybody That's would want power. Easy, yeah. But then behind power is also what like you want to be remembered forever. Maybe that's the mm-hmm. bottom line. And and to be honest like baby whoever it is right wing left wing whoever the person everybody goes through this this basic human human idea of like i want to be like why do we do art mm-hmm. in the first place why do we make things that that would stay for some of them don't right <laughs> some of them don't but you are doing it uh, maybe it's a insatiable like kind of a mm-hmm. uh, desire to keep making things but otherwise why do why do we do things mm-hmm. uh, maybe at the end of the day Yeah, yeah, the staring away death right behind Jake. We're sitting in the gallery and right behind Jacob there's a giant word death going into his shoulder um, from the current exhibition. It's always right there now. actually. You know. <laughs> um but but I I think this idea of wanting to push away death somehow is really important. And there's so many like cultural stories about this, but I often think about the Achilles story, which is like choosing between family or dying young but being immortalized historically, mm-hmm. right, as like a historical figure. Yeah. Um and th- these are these kind of like two conflicting ideas about how to achieve immortality, right? Like do you achieve immortality through your family or do you achieve it through the like deeds that you're doing or whatever like there's this kind of structuring mm-hmm. of that and also what happens when you really do achieve immortality yeah <laughs> <laughs> do, do, would you really like yeah. all your loved ones to go away and would you really like to live in this world like forever <laughs> yeah. no i was just talking to someone about this uh i feel like yeah this this open question of like would it be good to live forever no hmm. it would probably be horrible <laughs> you know yes. it, yeah it's clearly i mean there's there's a there's a whole section of literature on <laughs> vampires and yeah. and other immortals yeah. that are just like i am so unhappy i think i'm going to be dead for like 100 years and then come back and see if i can enjoy my life or not oh, like egyptian yeah. pharaohs yes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know what did they think that they needed to take with them I you know <laughs> it's dogs. it's interesting because <laughs> you like in that in that literary genre there's also a lot of discussion of like the understanding of time 
and how mm -hmm. time would just be complete like would be no you wouldn't have a relationship with time in the mm -hmm. same way and so would you even understand life in this because we're so mediated by time mm -hmm. um when we're that it gives value fallible mortal lives. beings or whatever oh my god i can't believe i just said that <laughs> um, but you know like the idea of Narod's relationship with time as an immortal or as someone seeking immortality I don't know if he's achieved it has he achieved it he has right I, like you I were mean, kind of saying, now that I'm finding all these artifacts I'm, I'm believing that it's been 300 years that I'm I'm seeing the artifacts from different time periods so so yes mm. so yes so the, or so he the, travels uh, through time or he travels through time yes. I don't know but is yeah. that the same thing too. As being because because Could I was be. just talking about time and relationship with time, mm -hmm. and if you were immortal, like maybe you do kind of travel through time and not really experience time in the same way that people do of in course. your like material body. It's got to be a different That's yes, a, a different <laughs> a different speed of life. I mean, one of his manuscripts uh, talk about this character from uh, the Hindu epic uh, of uh, Mahabharat. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there is a character named Ashwatthama and Ashwatthama was uh, given a curse by the god uh, Krishna that you will live forever uh, but it was a curse mm -hmm. it was yeah. not a mm -hmm. blessing so um, the curse said that you will live forever but you will be uh, you will have diseases and you will live um, um, dreadfully um, yeah. in the jungles and, oh, wow. and interestingly uh, there are places in India where people claim to have seen him Hmm. Uh, still, still alive. Today. Yeah, still alive. Still moving through in, it, in his and, sickly body. And um, so Narad has has the artifacts that I've researched on. Um, um, I have like I have gone like I've I've found few uh, Narad's uh, manuscripts about mm -hmm. this this um, research mm -hmm. about this Ashwatthama. That kind of also proves that Narad is also interested, but also at the same time uh, kind of understanding that what what is the point of immortality at the end. Like if we have to just pass time, like mm -hmm. what, you know, it's such a stupid idea in the first place, right? To, right. You're passing time. That's right. You're <laughs> living, you're not really living in the same sense that people who have a relationship with time live. Mm -hmm. It's just a different, it's a, it's a completely different idea of life, right? Mm -hmm. To be outside of time, to be immortal. Mm -hmm. And I think this like desire to be immortal makes complete sense but the actual achievement of it would be horrible as we're saying mm -hmm. um wait well, I, yeah go ahead oh i was just wondering about the definition still of immortality too because it's like there's a physical immortality but then there's also a cultural immortality right mm -hmm. yeah, yeah and and that uh, seems to like kind of ping pong in there somewhere <laughs> I mean, as far as i can tell yeah. <laughs> like like he, there seems to be evidence that he is physically immortal, but maybe he only lived three hundred years, and that was it. And that's uh, that's something that again, time will tell. <laughs> <laughs> I think the project some... is ongoing, so the research is still happening in the back of field projects right now. <laughs> come look at my show. Uh, come for the open studio. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah so please do. Too talk more about that can you can we go back to the earlier question um just about what was happening in your life before you started working on Narad you talked about being going to school for interior design and then for photography mm -hmm. and you went to school for photography here yes it was here yeah and can you just tell us a little bit about maybe what you were working on before 
so after um, so interesting okay i can i i would love to uh, so um, in my undergrads um, i was i had traveled a lot between india um, I went to multiple places mm-hmm. uh, temples mosques um, um, and and and, and like up north there are uh, there are uh, mughal structures mughal architecture uh, which is which are beautiful places in mm-hmm. india and somewhere uh, that architecture has has influenced has really been a great influence in my work like in terms of uh, not just like spaces as in as an idea but spaces also culturally politically um, um, as as spaces of congregation people coming together so i'm always interested in the idea of time uh, and hmm. and and philosophical uh, idea of time mm-hmm. that what because all if we look at all religious text i'm interested in comparative uh, uh, mythology and and uh, comparative uh, religious studies also mm-hmm. like in, and and if i and in being from india and being from a country like that which has a, such a syncretic kind of a um, um, syncretic history that my um, undergrad thesis was on um the churches which were made by the portuguese in 15th century in in near bombay but huh. these churches were uh, had both the elements from the indian subcontinent and at the same time the uh, the portuguese, the portuguese. Uh, mm. influence so right. and then this is true with any any place around the world that because of these clash of different cultures and civilizations new things have kind of come up mm-hmm. and it these these uh, mergers are something that i'm interested in mm-hmm. so maybe time as an idea is also something that all cultures and all religions have kind of talked about because these are basic human anxieties yes. of understanding what is what what is going to happen eventually after we die or as we have discussed um, so maybe that was already in as an as a context but storytelling and and um, uh, the idea of narad and and, and kind of creating myth around uh, stories mm-hmm. um is something that comes out of maybe my um, culturally i consider myself hindu mm-hmm. um so maybe not practice wise like i i don't i mean it is like that way uh, but culturally i i feel that this these are the things that um, um, that influenced with. yeah yes. i grew up with yeah. so mm-hmm. there is i can't help it like this is this is part of my being right um so that and the idea of time and these interests maybe all coming together into this this research of narad now yeah yeah it's an interesting combination of things that have produced your work on this um and when you were going to school for photography what what kind of like projects were you working on for that because um, that was for your mfa right Yes that yes. was my MFA program okay. and uh, uh, there too uh, my thesis was called the paradox of time so I was interested <laughs> in time all along You're uh, so consistent <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah I have to say this like I, I now after coming especially after coming to America and doing that yeah. show in in Savannah after 8 years I feel like I can reflect back on my 10 last 10 years and I feel that yes I I have stayed with one idea uh, for this long Yeah mm-hmm. yeah and I think really I mean that's also it's such a durational project in that way so it's also the project itself is about you spending the time with it putting the time into it and like really living with Nara right <laughs> like really living with him as a kind of 
oh, what would the right word be? I don't know. I want to say icon in your life, but that's not that's not the right thing. <laughs> but he's kind of like a guiding force mm-hmm. for you, yeah. like in getting you here to field projects, in get it's like in moving you around oh, the yeah, world yeah. in a way. You're you know? deifying Narad, <laughs> which is interesting. Like I never thought about yeah, it. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of the opposite of what you were describing before. <laughs> but it, but it, but it does kind of seem that way. He's like, like your fairy godmother or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's like no. an, he's an entry point, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, the mm-hmm. the project on Narad and Narad himself is a way for you to discover and enter like new spaces and places and do new things and new projects. And he's kind of malleable and has had a long life, so he can kind of be, it's sort of a fluid character Mm -hmm. too Mm -hmm. in that way. And that seems like a a wonderful relationship to have for this like seven year relationship that you've had. We so, so you also are going back to India soon too, yes. right? Um, and will you be working on Narad there? Um, yes, that this is a project that has consistently, as I said, like been a part of me. Of course, I, I do multiple things. I teach um, at, um, um, uh, I'm a visiting faculty at the SEPT University. So I teach interior design um, uh, studios and, and interested in like, again, mm-hmm. try to kind of bring in mm-hmm. literature. And um, uh, I'm interested in the book Poetics of Space by... Mm-hmm. martial art mm-hmm. and that is the studio that I've designed and, and I've been kind of uh, teaching that um, uh, so I'm, I'm of course I'm, I'm interested in I'm not mad and, and I'm not gone mad yet <laughs> uh, with the idea of Narad uh, but uh, uh, but Narad again I want to see I, I see this actually not very different from and like all those poets who write in a pseudonym yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. so it's it's exactly the same way that this Narad is just let, helping me to because there is certain things that Jagrut cannot do. Yes. Like because my identity comes in in between. That's sort of what I meant about him allowing you into spaces in a way, or, or allowing you to do things and play with ideas that are sort of giving you access to yeah. those things. Um, almost this. like he's a channel for you. Like you can kind of put yeah. stuff into and exactly, also take exactly. stuff from. And mm-hmm. it seems like a really, it does seem great to have that. I know that it's not really a pseudonym. Um, he's not really a pseudonym for you. He's a separate entity. But at the same time, like that is one of the like greatest things about having another identity that you can be. A right? disconnect yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. You can possess that person for a while and come mm. back. <laughs> Which I do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when everybody's gone, you guys are gone. Yeah. Like, I think I'm not in my studio. <laughs> I love the idea of that. It's also scary. <laughs> um, no, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I of course, at the end of the day, this is an aesthetic endeavor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the artifacts, things that you, uh, they are uh, supposed to be put in um, a museum and a gallery. So I, I don't shy away from that idea as well. Yes. And because museums give me that that um, that context yes. of of validating it yeah validating stories it's like validating this. and it's also the museum is a colonial space so it's like still all within the same framework of like mm-hmm. talking about the dynamics of Narad and his relationship with both being part of a colonized a colonial society but then also like coming and being sort of a voyager and a colonist himself in a way like coming to mm-hmm. the United States there's a lot of play with that mm-hmm. and I think also it's interesting that these are 
objects, right? These are archaeological objects. They're not paintings mm -hmm. um, or they're not like directly sculpture that you're finding. So these are more portrayed as like documents of mm -hmm. his life. Like you're mm -hmm. much more interested in creating an artifact that lives presenting in, yeah. in a hierarchical system like the museum. Which then, when you see something and within that context, you automatically believe it, or you automatically <laughs> want to believe it, or you automatically place it in time. Like it's all there, the, you know, by the didactics sort of give you all of this. Yeah, but I think what I'm trying to get at more is that these are objects that are associated with the construction of identity, mm -hmm. and there's a removal between um, objects that are considered like a fine art object yeah. from the identity construction which is stupid like it's not that doesn't actually exist but there is <laughs> okay. more of a feeling that there's like space or something between that oh, and I feel like this... when we see documents like someone's journal and their okay. suitcase yeah, yeah. and their album that they kept and collected yeah. there's a different kind of hand in that than we have in like if Narad made a sculpture because mm -hmm. his hand is there in making that sculpture too and that's mm -hmm. also about his identity but to see the actual things that he I guess maybe it's it's also about choice and collecting and journeying in those objects yes. that I think yeah. is really interesting um, and yeah. we totally do see those kind of objects mm -hmm. in museums as well yeah, and definitely. Well, I was just thinking about what you're saying, and, and the 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 sort of uh, fine art with a with a capital F and A seems to be something that's you have a, a certain amount of criticality from yourself in when you make something like that. Like your journal, you're not necessarily being critical of yourself or 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 the context really. I mean, you can be critical, but I think the fine art object is supposed to embody. A lot of different things and one of them is that it's it understands where it is in history and it kind of reflects back on that agree or disagree no, so I feel with uh, with this work the configuration of it like the the all the artifacts together and the, the like the presentation of it in a in a space like this a museum mm -hmm. kind of a, a space that itself is the the, the fine art or I don't know what to call it. Oh yes, no, no, no. I totally like that, that's what I feel that yes. the configuration becomes yes. the work rather than the each individual work. The context is the work. fine art rather than, right? Like yes. the, the Unfortunately, I would not, yeah. uh, what other option I have, no, I, I don't see any yeah. other option. Where yes. can it be? I don't think, <laughs> we're not saying that the display is not fine art. I guess I'm saying that like the traditional mediums Yes. that historically were associated with fine art, that they're about identity in a different way. Hmm. Um, and that the creation of these kind of vitrines or like layouts of these objects hmm. together is communicating something very specific about a certain type of museum and a certain yeah. way of constructing someone's historical identity mm -hmm. um, yes. that is different from showing a bunch of da Vinci's drawings or something, right? Like there's this kind of, there's a huge difference between That's doing that and then showing like someone's clothing mm -hmm. or, you know, like in the kind of museum, right? So there's a much more ethnographic museum approach than there is an, an art museum approach yeah. or something. Mm -hmm. if that Unless sense. we talk about the Giorgio O'Keefe show that showed her clothing, but you know, whatever. I'm, I'm talking like more <laughs> historically about know, like I the know. history of museums, not about like contemporary curatorial practice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that like 
the kind of objects that you're showing speak much more to yeah the ethnographic museum or something mm -hmm. that's like constructing things through the traces of objects and like the the sort of contact relics is what I would call yeah. them um, that you know were in direct contact with that person like what they wore mm. what they traveled with etc yeah. yeah that is the project right or I was thinking you know like the National Museum of American Indian yeah like, totally that is a place where uh, I mean I'm not saying like of course my, my work is right now like I'm in, in progress but at the same time putting the work in a context in such a way where it already does contextualization of that time period or era yeah. or something like that. Then kind of, it. I, I always thought that, you know, maybe my work also uh, um, rests in books uh, and those books are something that I actually go and just put it in libraries. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, <laughs> so they do, like they have to kind of really, wherever you find that crack, like you, that's where you fit in. Yeah. Uh, so some that's how I see uh, maybe the, the work not always being in a gallery or maybe it can go in a gallery. Mm -hmm. I, I see some somebody I really admire is Walid Rad and mm -hmm. I see that practice also kind of being in both places, uh, museum, uh, gallery setting and multiple places or maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's just, um, I guess the... The thing that is interesting about the kind of display and objects is that the ethnographic museum is so problematic and so mm -hmm. much like still okay with colonialism. Like the um, Native American museum that you were talking about, I was just sitting in front of it with my class on Saturday um, and we were talking about how it has this imposing like federalist architectural facade that's like looking back to ancient Greece and yeah. Rome and it has these allegories of the continents as women with their like breasts out, like <laughs> it's it, it, monumental like, statues. Yeah. And it's like staring down Bowling Green, which is actually an old historical sacred site um, and has no monument acknowledging it. And it's it feels like such mm. a colonial space still mm. very, very much. And then it has like all of these, I mean, there's a lot of wonderful objects that are there, mm -hmm. but they're inside of this, you know, so this is the constant push and pull of the archive, I think. And maybe that's also what I'm getting at is that the work that you're making feels like much more like very intentionally trying to be and um, show an archive of his life, right? In a way that mm -hmm. we maybe don't necessarily think about like sculpture or something as being in the archive, even though it is. Um, it's a different kind of archive and it's a different kind of identity construction. But my point just about the um, museum is that it's sort of a, a huge monument um, to like colonial dominance, even with the archive, even with trying to preserve and communicate histories. Um, it's still like doing so from this really bad platform. <laughs> well, it's still within the culture. It's still within yeah. the colonial culture. Like yeah. you can't escape the the sort of the critique that lives there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But at the same time, one of my students did say like, you know, when I've gone there though, I've gotten to see like this whole textile history that I would never have gotten to see yeah. if yeah. like it didn't mm -hmm. exist there. Yes. What do we do about that? <laughs> it's Well, I mean, it's not one nor the other, right? Yeah. Like there's... Like I'm sure, um, mm. <laughs> like it, it, it has all of these different aspects of life that come together. Like the weird, our lives are not 
<laughs> clean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're all dirty. Yeah, I feel like I'm talking too much though. I would really yeah. like to know yeah, your totally. ideas about um, the differences between kinds of like museum display and the decisions that you've made in previous shows too about like how to display the work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the display is uh, uh, with along with the uh, the work. I think the the labels. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter a lot and yeah. how I uh, tell the story because uh, how do you authenticate a story also is is part of my uh, my process and when I work with curators uh, um, so that's what we are kind of talking about that how do we make sure it, it, it is in this in between liminal space where it is it is plausible it is not completely impossible nor it is right. like it's right in your face but it's somewhere it, it seems as if it is believable that this is possible like about a person's life and so how do we how do we make sure uh, that message is conveyed uh, the the uh, some kind of like an authority and that already comes with the space that already comes with the the museum space. but in terms of uh, materials i'm interested in again some of these like so we had a question there was this way one person was interested in one of my works uh, which was which was a book um, and the book is 19th century mm-hmm. uh, but then the photographs inside are something that I have put like I'm, you know, I'm being honest about it like that yes. I have that they're fabulation <laughs> so I have, I have put photographs inside it so now what is this artifact mm-hmm. would it would you consider this as a 19th century artifact or would you consider it as a as, as a contemporary piece so mm-hmm. so these are the kind of things and I'm, I'm so what, what we chose to put it inside a glass box I mean yeah I mean I could answer that because it would it would be the context that it's given right like mm-hmm. that, that, that's shown that, it, that you would be like I found this 19th century thing to present these contemporary photographs because it makes these photographs like into the thing that I want them to be mm-hmm. and so therefore it would be a contemporary other well, that would be, I mean, that, you know. I understand, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what I'm trying to, to figure out here now is that, is there a way to, to make this into uh, a process called, like what I want to now understand is the maybe authentic fakes. That they are, um, um, they are authentic fakes, uh, that I, it has, it will have my um, certificate of authenticity. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But, uh, <laughs> do, do they have your certificate of authenticity? Please say you have a certificate of authenticity. <laughs> <laughs> I have, yeah, that's yeah. what, like, that's the, that's the work. Uh, I love yeah. the term authentic fakes. <laughs> Yeah. That's like fakes, so yeah. the opposite of what people are usually trying to say that they're well, doing. But that made me think about your, the show that you did at your yeah. um, other gallery with the uh, what is it, the Spanish Forger. Is yeah, I can't believe you remember that. Yeah. William Vokley, who was the old head of manuscripts at the Morgan Library, um, started collecting faked medieval paintings, basically, mm-hmm. and we did an exhibition of his work. Wow. Um, or, and he had lots of other forgeries because at the Morgan Library you get offered things a lot and a lot of times they're inauthenticated mm. instead of authenticated mm. when they're offered, right? And then he would buy them for like very cheap wow. and had this whole collection of Spanish forgers um, as well as many other forgers. But the Spanish forger themselves, we still don't know who they are exactly. There's some ideas about it. Mm-hmm. Um, was, you know, like a, a painter who was pretending to make, who was forging artworks. Um, mm-hmm. But and that's still not, that's not what you're saying that you're doing. No, oh, yeah. no, no, it just, it's just uh, this idea of this uh, authentic fake. 
Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But now people love the Spanish forger. Well, so he is, it, like, this artist has become, <laughs> the, the artist has become this authentic fake. Like, everyone knows that they were a forger. I know. Um, I'm just trying to, like, articulate why you were bringing it up. You know, so everyone knows and still is interested in and loves the work for what it was doing. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and... And the sort cool. of scandal and drama, right? Yeah, of course, of course. We all love a little, a little reality yeah, TV yeah, in yeah, our manuscripts. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, do you have the authenticity certificate? Or will you make one? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I will. Uh, that's part of my work. Uh, that's, um, uh, yeah. So, basically, authentic fake means that. Um, uh, of course, they are Narad's works, uh, but they are authenticated by me backside with my signature. Uh-huh. Right. So um, only then they are real Narad's works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, the you're the acquisition. Like, this is my first public. Yeah. You are uh, the, you're saying this. You are the gallerist <laughs> for, uh, yeah, for Narad. You're, yes. you're the acquisitions manager. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. For yes, Narad's yes. work. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, very much that. It, I, that's uh, how um, I feel. Hmm. Like, like this this is a different kind of practice that I'm kind of imagining um, hmm. and maybe that is also part of like it can be um, I mean they are primarily they are artifacts and they they are to be put up on walls so um, yeah it's interesting because it really it's almost a collaboration between the two of you but I know that it's not really <laughs> but it does feel like that Nara. Oh, or the yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like it feels like a collab. It genuinely feels like a collaboration in that way. Or they mm-hmm. have a split um, personality. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe whatever works. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're like I went to sleep and I woke up and I said, <laughs> like, like, whatever story works, you know, whatever story works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To um, make you immortal, whatever story. <laughs> To make some money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But that is an interesting question for collectors, right? Or anyone who would be interested mm-hmm. in buying some of the work or acquiring some of it for a museum or something. Is this kind of play with history and time? And I think that just goes back to this question about time travel or immortality and or immortality, right? Because the objects themselves are sort of doing that time traveling. You know, the album that you have that's this like gorgeous 19th century album. Um, is very much a it's a 19th century object and it has kind of like moved through time and been reworked on mm-hmm. and i just kind of think about for me obviously because i don't believe immortality physically is possible um but objects have really extended lives in relation to the timeline of people's lives and i think that that allows for interesting time travel and time play in your work too mm-hmm. like to actually work with authentic question mark <laughs> don't know what that means now but <laughs> authentically 19th century objects right mm-hmm. um, i mean if you if i give you like a tiny bit uh, to carbon date um, because that's that right. would be true authentication right like then carbon dating would come out as 19th century which is right. true um, <laughs> but because uh, what part <laughs> I give you? Loves that. <laughs> what part I give you is, the, is also the question. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's the problem with that kind of dating, isn't it? Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or do we really want to go into that? Because yeah. that's uh, is that the point? Like, is that really the point of looking at the work that I do, or, or is mm-hmm. it in in these questions is where the work really rests? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I I think about it too as like. Um, Forgers 
do what you're saying. Like they take dust and stuff like that from other paintings and put it in the back of their forged paintings and stuff like that. And um, like the immortality of it or something to that effect is like us giving it that aura. This is a Picasso painting. That's mm -hmm. why it's important and interesting. <laughs> it's stupid and looks like shit, but it's like, it's a Picasso. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, I, and I think this is like another kind of, this is one of the aspects of mortality that you've been talking about, is this sort of living on in, in oral history or something. Mm -hmm. In a sense that you're, you're sort of uncovering this, this oral history and like bringing it to the surface and writing it yourself. But, you know, like uncovering it. Um, I love the word attribution and um, um, ascribe, ascribing and attributing. There's mm -hmm. so many works in, mm -hmm. in history also, like real history, like real with real questions. Uh, so Rembrandt's <laughs> paintings, right? Like Rembrandt's paintings. Uh, so many of them uh, have been. A um, lot of people have been have said that they Rembrandt did not do it. Like of course his yeah. his uh, disciples and all the yeah. uh, apprentice um, uh, they did it. But at the same time, there are so many which were signed as Rembrandt mm -hmm. and which later came up and they were in collectors and, and museums mm -hmm. and everywhere and people thought that they were Rembrandt and later found out that they are, they are not. Yeah. Right. So, so what do we, how, like, is, is, like, that's maybe with this work, like, I'm also, I don't want to get into that question. It is, uh, it, you look at the work and, and you enjoy it because in a way, it's one of a kind piece. Like, it's not, it has never been done before. Uh, in history, it may it may have it may look like something, mm -hmm. but that particular piece is unique in itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, how important is the identity itself, too? I don't know, but I feel like all there isn't really an answer. It's more that your work is asking these questions, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, yeah. That's like the more important part of it. Um, mm -hmm. Wherever you end up ultimately falling in your personal like answer to definition that. of these yeah. things, yeah, yeah. That's what's that's the strength of the work, and that's why the conversation is so interesting because <laughs> I because I definitely have a point of view, and you know you guys do too, and, and we're like kind of pushing back and forth on what we think yeah. actually happens. Yeah. Well, you're going to continue excavating along the Hudson while you're here yes, in the back so, yeah. room. Mm -hmm. And if people come, they can see the fruits of your excavations and Please your researches and talk to you about it. <laughs> Please come by. I'll be um, happy to I'll be happy to talk and and tell you most more stories of yes. Narad. Yeah. I will be very curious to hear about Narad's interactions with Lenape people here, with yeah. um, Dutch colonizers who are here, which must be very different to you than if, you know, like other yeah. Dutch colonizers he interacted with in India. Um, I'm curious about all of those kind of storylines that will play out. Um, so if there's anything after the residency, uh, you know, you did say you're going back to India, you're teaching, um, you're teaching this great interior design and architecture mm -hmm. <laughs> courses. Um, is there anything else coming up that you want to share? Nothing as of now, uh, but uh, no, I, I would love to continue my um, the story from Mahabharata that I'm talking about, um, yes. um, often character named Ashwatthama. Mm -hmm. And uh, I already have done research. I have already gone multiple times to this place called Asirgarh Fort, which is in mm -hmm. the center part of India, uh, in the state of Madhya Pradesh. 
and i can i wish to continue that uh, project much more because i i as i said like there are people i have interviewed people who have claimed to have seen this man from 1000 years back right mm-hmm. um and so that will be on site research and you'll go talk to people i already have done on site research and uh-huh. i i wish to do more uh, yeah. so that i i still want to kind of maybe have uh, work that would produce like a, a shows worth of uh, work yeah Um, so that's uh, that's something that i maybe i have to go like one or two times more and, yeah. and visit that place meet people i already know so many people around who have given me interviews so it's already up mm-hmm. it's uh, it's up on um, www.forgottenimmortals.in yeah uh, <laughs> we will put a link in the show notes below yeah. uh, so Thank you can you. all find that <laughs> slipping in cool so the cool. next project kind of blossoming opening up still working on Narad going back and teaching um that's great yes we're so thrilled to have your project in the backstage here thank you here. thank you for giving me this space and yeah. and time both <laughs> thank you of course yeah thank you for being here okay okay we're back we're back for go sees Mm-hmm. Um we are actually still here with Jagroot. Um and with Jacob. Hey. And Chris. And me, the <laughs> disembodied voice. Anyways, um Jagroot, you had a couple of recommendations that you wanted to give us. Um there's one at the um Sikema and Jenkins uh and co. Um they have a exhibition by Martin De Orgival. and their decorotypes uh, mm-hmm. which are like very rare to find and see very, cool. very rare like very few people can really make it so it's oh, it's really cool. worth going and looking at it oh cool oh wow yeah okay. yeah yeah so that's like an interest in the historical process of photography mm-hmm. for you that you're like everyone yes. has to go see this <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah. it's a it's a process which is uh, going away yeah for sure yeah it's mm-hmm. harder and harder to access than materials and kind of spaces mm-hmm. to make those. Um great. Are there any other? Um uh, the Nicole Eisenman show at the uh, Hauser and Wirth. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's with beautiful paintings and and a beautiful installation um uh, with a crane and the the face of mm-hmm. uh the, the the cat face or is it a, <laughs> sorry i <laughs> yeah i want to know i have to, i'm going to maybe walk over and see this right now jacob what do you have that you want to recommend to go see well there's i got a couple things one is gallery lalong and company which is uh on our street 26 west 26th street there is an alfred jar um show up it's a solo show and there's two projects in there and i would suggest anybody going and seeing this um show because he has a room filled with 72 different artists who have sought to resist and change the world since 1950 so these are se- these are selected artists that he's uh basically curated a show on and uh they're all you know historical works and they're all really interesting it's just a chance for you to see these historical works in person and all of these works together and to think about what being an artist and making work about resistance or with resistance uh means and how you can do it like what your strategy what different strategies there are um 
So that's I think that's a great show. There's also another work that he has in the in the space that's uh, pretty amazing too. But uh, I that's the that's the one that really stuck with me though. Cool. Um, also uh, at My Pet Ram, opening Friday, uh, June tenth, six to nine, party for one. Uh, there's some pretty great artists in there. Uh, Eric Hibbett, Paul Guineer, um, Maria Yolanda Livana. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm always like destroying people's names. <laughs> Tom uh, Sanford. Even your very art. close friends. You're like, I can't fucking. Well, especially my very close friends, because I always think, oh, I'm going to say it wrong. And then I second guess how I'm going to say things. And then I then that just fucks me all up. Uh, anyways, that opened this Friday. Uh, go see that. This Thursday uh, at Heroes Gallery, uh, Lower East Side, uh, Benny Maris uh, is has a solo show called Flash, and then he's got at Heroes Gallery. It's the sort of same setup as we talked about before, where they include their their uh, art idols in the show so it's usually just one piece or one artist picks one artist one contemporary artist picks a sort of historical or con- or currently you know working artist that they look up to in this case he's picked um benny has picked one two three four five six seven different artists so i'm really excited to see what's gonna what this is gonna look like um and he's also a really interesting artist it's like photo based he does like a thing where he sort of paints his hand and then goes or his arm and then goes into the and goes takes photos in at places like joshua tree and stuff like that so there's a you know like the whole idea of photo and subjectivity um but also art anyways it's it looks like a really fun interesting show uh and that opens on thursday june 16th Cool. Five I can't believe it's fucking June 16th already. Yeah, Juneteenth is coming up. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Great. No, that's good. Okay. Thanks for sharing those. Um, I'm really glad you've been able to get to some shows while you've been here. Yeah. I mean, that's the great thing about being here is that you can just like walk down the block and see some so stuff. Much. I hope and so. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, walk yeah. around, like, just down. Uh, I hope uh, the one show at uh, Lelong uh, Gallery with oh, the Fredochard. Right. I was going to suggest that you go see that. Did you? I, see? Yeah, I already saw it. Yeah, I mean, beautiful there's... works uh, by, of course, by Alfrejar and and all others that he has curated. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, um, you should see that too. It's got uh, all of these works that are that he considers resistant works that are mm-hmm. like the real works themselves in one of the rooms. So it's like it's got fifty artist pieces that are. Yeah, I might have Sweet. spent like almost an hour in that room. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, it's me like, too. How much? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, and then there's cool, that. Cool. And then there's that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, I'm feeling pumped. I'm gonna go walk around to we'll, some shows now. We'll drop you off there. <laughs> yeah, it's right. You here. could drop me off. Drop me off there. Um, cool. Those are all great. Thank you. I mean, yeah. Oh, and is there? You also went to Kremer, right? Mm-hmm. For pigments. Kremer pigments. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, a recommendation for pigment place okay um <laughs> cool thank oh, you yes. for interviewing with us and chatting with us thank and so telling much. us about narad and about yes. his life his yeah. super fascinating and his life. immortality <laughs> thank yeah. you for giving me another platform yeah and the like interesting 
social and cultural work that you're doing with that is cool. Okay, <laughs> should we do a field pod? Oh yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll do one, two, three, field pod. That's what we'll say? Yes. Okay. One, two, three, field, field pod! pod. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> awesome. Talk, talk. You're good, you're good. Talk. We're great. Wait, okay, oh. stop talking. I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk. I'm talking. Okay, actually. That's not how you talk, more though. More toward... That's okay. definitely not how you talk. I think this is fine. Not like that. <laughs> this is how you... The moment that you're like, okay, now All we're right. starting to record. So I have to skip the five minutes at the beginning again. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my God. The victim. I'm such a victim. The victim. You know what? you <laughs> <laughs> for victimizing me <laughs> no i'm oh. not a victim you vic- no i was saying you vic- i'm in you control victimized. of my life yeah you victim I'm completely in control of my life Jake. <laughs> <laughs> i have no past trauma that has anything to do with my nope. behavior i am not shaped by any history awesome <laughs> neither are you i'm historyless oh, anyways okay so hey chris what's up how are you that was very forced. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Um, how are you doing? Uh, would you tell me about your week? Would you tell me about your Would you please week? tell me about your week? <laughs> oh, my God. Please, no. Jacob, hey. Oh, that's not forced. 